Chapter Thirty Four of Agnes Sorrel by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Four. A few brief glimpses, if you please, dear reader, quiet and calm and cool, like the early sunshine of a clear autumn day. A few brief glimpses to throw some light upon a lapse of several years. It may be asked, why are not the events of those years recorded? why are we not carried through the details of a history in which the writer at least must have some interest in every life as in every country which one passes through there come spots of dull monotony where the waters stagnate on the heavy flats and to linger among them is dangerous to active existence i say in every life there are these flats at some period or another for i can recall none in memory or in history where they have not been found none where all has been mountain and valley take the most active life that ever was that of napoleon bonaparte carry him from the military school to the command of armies go with him along his comet-like career from glory to glory up to the zenith of his power and then on his course down to the horizon with fierce rapidity you come to the rock in the atlantic and the dull lapse of impotence and captivity at last in a cell in a small priory of st george of heston and on the pallet bed of one of the monks lay a young gentleman pale and wan but still with the light of reviving life in his eyes by his side was seated a tall thin old man or if not very old in years old in the experience of sorrows tis a strange thing this life and all connected with it time and joy and grief and fear and hope and appetite and satiety very very strange the wise eastern people have said that at the root of the tree of life lies two worms continually preying on it the one black the other white but alas alas there is many another maggot piercing the bark, eating into the core, drying up the sap, bringing on decay and instruction. I have named a few of them. One of the most blessed conceptions of the soul is that in its immortality none of these things can touch it. He seemed an old man, though probably he had not yet seen near sixty years of age. But there were upon his face many harsh lines, not such as are drawn by hard carking cares and petty anxieties not such as are imprinted on the face by the claws of grasping mercenary selfishness but the deep strong brands of burning passions fierce griefs fierce joys and strong unruly thoughts yet the eye was subdued there was not the light in it that had once been there the wild eager light too intense to be fully sane there was sadness enough but little fire it would seem that the two they were the only tenants of the cell had been talking for some time and that one of those pauses had taken place in which each man continues for himself the train of thought suggested by what has gone before the old man looked down upon the ground with his shaggy eyebrows overhanging his eyes the young man looked up as if catching inspiration from above it was hope and memory at length the old man spoke when one looks back he said upon the path of life 
we lose in the mistiness of the distance a thousand objects which have influenced its course we see it turn hither and thither and wonder that we took not a course more direct to our end we perceive that we have gone far out of the way but the obstacles are not seen that were or seemed insurmountable the stream too deep to be forded the rock too high to be scaled the thicket too dense to be penetrated and the mists and darkness too the mists and darkness of the mind forever blinding us to the right way oh my son my son beware of the eyesight of passion for you know not how false and distorting it is the things as plain as day become all dim and obscure false lights glare around us and nothing is real but our own sensations jean charost smiled i have escaped as yet father he said it is true indeed that when i look back on some passages of my life on the actions of other men and on my own i sometimes wonder how i could view the things around me as i did at the time and all seems to me as if i had been acting in a dream passion passion said the monk the dream of passion happily i have had no cause to regret that i did not see more clearly replied jean charost but let me turn to other matters good father there are many things that i would wish to ask you many that are necessary for me to know ask me nothing replied the monk quickly then laying his hand upon jean charost's arm he said in a low stern voice there is a space in memory on which i dare not tread by struggle and by labour i have reached firm ground and can stand upon the rock of my salvation but behind me there is a gulf of madness you would not drag me back into it young man god forbid replied jean charest but yet the monk waved his hand and an instant after the door of the cell opened and martin grille appeared booted and spurred with his dress covered with dust and every sign about him of long riding over parched and sandy roads well martin exclaimed the young man as soon as he saw him what says the lord willoughby but little and not pleasant replied martin grille however he has written here is his letter jean charost took the paper which the man held out to him and tore it open eagerly but his face turned pale as he read and he exclaimed fifteen thousand crowns for a baron's ransom this is ruin i think he cannot help himself said martin grille for he seemed very much vexed when he wrote indeed he told me that the ransoms had been fixed by higher power ay ay a mere excuse exclaimed jean charost this greedy englishman is resolved to make the most of the capture of a wounded man passion my son passion said the monk what the good lord says is true i do believe tis the ambition and policy of his master not his own greed i have heard something of this and feared the result king henry is resolved that all those who might serve france best against him should either pay the expenses of his next campaign by their ransoms or linger out their time in english prisons while he goes forth to conquer france shame be upon him cried jean charost wouldst thou not do the same wert thou the king of england asked the monk jean charost mused for several minutes then there is naught for me but a prison he said at length i will not impoverish my poor mother 
nor my sweet little agnes it has cost enough to furnish me forth for this fatal battle oh that frenchmen had coolness as well as courage discipline as well as activity oh that they had won the day i would not have treated my prisoners so well god's will be done i will cross the seas and give myself up to captivity let me have things for writing martin grille nay my son you are not fit said the monk it must be done answered jean charost what matters it to any one if i die he cannot coin my clay into golden pieces i will not pay this ransom so long as my mother lives let me have ink and paper jean charost wrote but he was soon obliged to abandon the task for he was still too feeble the next day he wrote again however and two letters were accomplished the one was sent off to his mother the other to the lord willoughby to the latter he received an answer courteous and kind desiring him not to hurry his departure for england but to wait till he was well able to bear the journey there was one sentence somewhat confused in expression intended to convey a regret that the ransom fixed upon prisoners of his rank was so high but jean charost was irritated and threw the letter from him the other letter conjured his mother to his side with all speed and she brought his little agnes with her for she had a notion that the presence of the child would be balmy to him let us pass over her remonstrances and how she urged him to sell all and pay his ransom for her sake he was firm he would not impoverish his mother and though there were bitter tears he departed from his native land now let us change the scene between three and four years had passed since the field of azincourt had received some of the best blood of france and thinned the ranks of french chivalry every city every village almost every family was full of trouble and the place that was at one day in the hands of england was another day in the hands of france and a third in the hands of burgundy all regular warfare might be said to have come to an end each powerful noble made war on his own hand and linked himself by very slender ties to this faction or that his enterprises were his own though they were directed in some degree to the benefit of his party but if he owned in any one a right to command him it was only with the reservation that he should obey or not as he pleased armed bands traversed the country in every direction hardly a field between the loire and the somme was not at some time a scene of strife none knew when they sowed the ground who would reap the harvest and the goods of the merchant were as often exposed to pillage as the crop of the husbandman yet it is extraordinary how soon the mind of man and especially the gay volatile mind of the frenchman accommodates itself to circumstances here was a state almost intolerable it would seem to any but savages but yet in france the skilful cook plied his busy trade and the reeking kitchen sent up fragrant fumes the auberge the cabaret the gite the repu all the places of public entertainment in short were constantly filled with gay guests the tailor's needle was never more employed and as much ornament as ever was bestowed upon fair forms which might be destined a few days after to meet with a bloody death the village bells called people to prayer and praise as usual and rang out merrily for the wedding even when hostile spears were within sight of the steeple 
such was the state of the country when one day in the latter part of the summer of one thousand four hundred and nineteen a young man dressed in the garb of a monk entered a small town near the city of bourg his feet were sandaled he carried the pilgrim's staff in his hand and he was evidently wayworn and fatigued the greater part of the peasantry were in the fields and the street of the little place running up the side of a small hill lay almost solitary in the bright sunshine the master of the gite or small inn however was sitting at his own door with an ancient companion feeble and white-bearded and they made some comments to one another upon the young stranger as he approached which were not very favourable to monks in general oh he is going to the grey friars monastery doubtless said the host to his companion and doubtless they fare well there he will have a jovial night of it after his journey especially as this is thursday ay that's the time they always appoint for the women to come to confess said the other and i dare say they talk over all the sins they hear pleasantly enough see he seems tending this way not he replied the landlord we have but little custom from the brethren though they can pay well when they will upon my life i believe he is coming hither but perhaps tis but to ask his way the stranger however did walk straight up to mine host of the inn and instead of asking his way inquired whether he could lodge there for the night assuredly good father replied the landlord in a very altered tone this is a public sheet though the prices are rather higher than they used to be because the country has been so run down that matters not answered the stranger when can i sup in an hour father supper will be on the table answered the host would you like to go and wash your feet they are mighty dusty not yet replied the stranger if i knew where to place my wallet in safety i would go on a little further to see the sun setting from the hill come with me come with me said the host i will show you your chamber where you will have as good a bed as a baron could wish for and a room not much bigger than a cell it is true but you will not mind that for it is fresh and airy and moreover it has a lock and key which is more than many rooms have the stranger followed in silence was admitted to his room and laid down the wallet then taking the key almost as big as that of a church door of modern times he issued forth from the inn again and saying he would be back soon he walked on to the other end of the street where it opened out through a low mud wall upon the brow of the hill upon which the town was built when clear of all houses with his foot upon the green turf and the rocky descent below him the young stranger crossed his arms upon his chest and stood gazing upon the scene around with more of the air of a warrior than of a monk he held his head high and seemed to expand his chest to receive fully the evening breeze looking like a fine horse when first turned forth from a close stable snuffing the free air before he takes his wild headlong career around the meadow but the expression soon changed casting his eyes to the eastward he just caught sight from behind the shoulder of the hill of the towers and battlements of bourg and a little further on but more to the north on the other side of the river he perceived a wooded hill with a large square tower and some other buildings crowning the summit a look of deep melancholy came upon his countenance after gazing for several minutes he turned his eyes toward the ground and fell into a deep fit of thought as if debating some important question with himself 
it will be a painful pleasure said he at length but i will go let it cost what it may once more he gazed over the prospect all around and then turning on his steps he retraced his way back to the inn where he found the landlord still seated at the door can you tell me he said if messire jacques coeur is now in bourg no that he is not sir answered the landlord with great respect dropping the title of father which he had previously bestowed upon his guest in favour of the grey gown he is somewhere about montereau with his highness the dauphin that is unlucky said the other just remarking and no more the landlord's change of manner toward him and the substitution of the words sir and father well i will sup and go upon my way had you not better sleep here sir asked the landlord again avoiding the word father perhaps they are not prepared for you and you must have travelled far i suppose the other held to his resolution however without taking any outward notice of the great alteration in the man's demeanour but when he retired to his chamber to wash his feet before supper he found confirmation of a suspicion that the vaunted lock of his door had more keys than one nothing was abstracted indeed from his wallet but the contents had been evidently examined carefully since he left the house small as was the amount of baggage it contained there were several articles which bore the name of jean charost de bracy night had fallen by the time that supper was over and the stars shone out bright and clear when the young wanderer once more resumed his journey and took his way direct toward the castle he had seen upon the hill onward he went at an unflagging pace descended from the higher ground into the valley crossed the little river by its stone bridge and approached the foot of the eminence where the tower stood large dogs bayed loudly as he came near the entrance of the castle and one or two men were seated under the arch of the barbican but jean charost's impatience had been growing with every step and without pausing to put any questions or to ask permission he passed the drawbridge crossed the little court and mounted the steps leading into the great hall one of the men had followed him from the barbican but did not attempt to stop him two of the dogs ran by his side looking up in his face and a third gambled wildly before him whining with a sort of anxious joy the great hall was quite dark but he found his way across it easily enough mounted a little flight of five steps and opened the door just above there were lights in that room and madame de bracy was there seated embroidering while little agnes now greatly expanded both in form and beauty sat beside his mother sorting the various coloured silks his feet were shod with sandals but his mother knew the tread she started up and gazed at him the instant after her arms were round his neck and agnes was clinging to his hand and covering it with kisses welcome welcome home my son cried madame de bracy has this hard lord then relented we heard that you were ill very ill and ere three days more had passed agnes and i would have set off to join you in england we waited but for safe conducts to depart i have been ill dear mother replied the young man and that obtained me leave to return for a time but do not deceive yourself i have not come back to stay indeed so brief must be my absence from my prison so hopeless is the errand on which i came that i had doubts whether i ought to pause even here 
to give you the pang of parting with me again i have only obtained leave upon parole to absent myself from london for three months in order to seek a ransom my only hope is in jacques coeur he perhaps can help us on easier terms than any one else will consent to i find however that he is not in bourg and i must go on to-morrow to montereau to seek him for well-nigh three weeks of my time is already expired tis a long journey from england hither on foot ah my poor son cried madame de brecy our fate has been a sad one indeed but yet why should we complain we share but the unhappy fate of france and heaven knows she has deserved chastisement were it for nothing else but the bloody and unchristian feuds which have brought this evil upon her let us hope yet mother let us hope yet said jean charost the very feeling of being once more at home in this dear home where so many sunny days have passed rekindles the nearly extinguished fire and makes me hope again in despite of probability but why did you come on foot dear jean cried agnes clinging to him it was not for want of money was it oh i would gladly have sold all those pretty things you gave me long ago to have bought a horse for you though our dear mother says we must save everything we can in order to pay your ransom no dear child no replied jean charost there were other reasons for my coming on foot i could not come with my lance in my hand and my pennon and my band behind me and for a solitary traveller well dressed and mounted on a good horse it is dangerous to cross the country between Arfleur and bourg but it is vain to think of saving my ransom my only hope is to get it diminished and then to obtain the means of paying it both through jacques coeur diminished said madame de brecy eagerly is there a chance of that her son explained to her that a conference had already taken place between the dauphin and the duke of burgundy with a view to arrange the terms of peace jacques coeur he said has great influence with our own royal prince and i believe that i myself stand not ill with his highness of burgundy although heaven knows i have never sought his favour if the dauphin will condescend as perhaps he ought to make the liberation upon moderate ransom of several gentlemen taken at azincourt a stipulation in the treaty i think i have a fair claim to be among them there is another interview i find to take place in a few days and i must not miss the opportunity i bear his highness letters from his cousin the young duke of orleans and several other gentlemen of high repute let us hope then my mother at least till hope proves vain here will i rest to-night and speed onward again to-morrow perhaps i may lose my labour and have to travel back to england and to captivity then we will go with you jean said madame de brecy you shall stay no more alone in a prison yes yes let us go with you cried agnes eagerly drowning jean charost's reply we can all be as happy there as here it is not the walls or the earth that make a cheerful home it is the spirits that are in it thou art a young philosopher said jean charost with a smile but we will see the next morning jean charost was upon his way toward montereau still dressed in his monkish garb for the proverb proved true in his case but now mounted on an old mule the very beast that had carried the duke of orleans on the night of his assassination it had been given to him by the duchess when last he saw her and when she felt the hand of death pressing heavily upon her 
the journey was too much for one day twenty-three leagues as they counted them in those days when leagues were leagues and they had kings in france but jean charost resolved to push on as far as possible and by night of the second day he had reached the small town of moret whence a short morning's ride would bring him to montereau it was dark when he arrived but the small village was full of armed men and round the doors of many of the houses were assembled gay groups some seated on the ground some on benches some on empty barrels laughing drinking and singing with all the careless merriment of soldiery in an hour of peace lights burned in the windows lanterns and sometimes torches were out at the doors and the yellow harvest moon was rolling along the sky and shedding from her golden chariot wheels a glorious flood of light doubtless there was a good deal of ribaldry in the words doubtless there was a good deal of licentiousness in the hearts of those around but yet there was a joyous exuberance of life a careless happy thoughtless confidence an infectious merriment that was difficult to resist the ringing laughter the light song the gay jest the cheerful faces all seemed to ask jean charost as he passed along why should you take thought for the morrow when you can never tell that a morrow will be yours why should you have care for the future when the future is disposed of by hands you cannot see rejoice rejoice in the present day eat drink and be merry for to-morrow you die many a jester sailed the friar and his mule as they passed along but jean charost was in no mood to suffer a jest to annoy him his hopes had increased as he came near the spot where they were to be fulfilled or extinguished and the scene around him was certainly not calculated to bid them depart too soon at the door of a small inn he stopped and asked if he could find entertainment but the landlord rolled out a fat laugh and told him no not if he could make himself as small as the constable's dwarf we are all as full here he said as we can hold and running over with the dauphin's men-at-arms i doubt whether you will find a quarter of a bed in the whole place at the great sheath there that place which looks so dull and melancholy you will have a better chance than anywhere else for maitre longrin has raised his prices above the tax because he expects the lords and commanders to stay there but i don't think they will prefer his bad wine to my good and pay more for it thither however jean charost turned his mule and here the answer was much the same as before combined with the saucy intimation that they did not want any monks at that house and the young gentleman was turning away thinking with some anxiety how he could feed and stable his beast when he saw a man dressed apparently as a superior officer examining somewhat closely the mule which he had left tied to the tall post before the inn he was not fully armed although he had a hobegon on and his head was only covered with a plumed cap though tall and well formed he stooped a little and as he drew back a step or two when the young gentleman approached to mount he seemed to move with some difficulty and limped as he walked jean charost put his foot into the stirrup mounted and was about to ride away when the stranger called to him somewhat roughly saying where got you that mule monk it was a gift replied jean charost in a quiet tone turning his face full toward the speaker a gift not from a palmer to a convent cried the other but from a lady to a soldier and in a moment after his arms were thrown around jean charost while he exclaimed with a laugh 
why don't you know me de bracy i am not so much metamorphosed as you in all your monkery in heaven's name what are you doing in this garb and in this place where do you come from what are you doing some said you were killed at azincourt one man swore to me he saw you die another told me you were a prisoner in england and i have always supposed the latter was the case for i have found in my own case how difficult it is to get killed they have nearly chopped me to mincemeat but here i am what is left for me that is to say the young gentleman gave his old companion all the information he desired telling him moreover not without some hopes of assistance the difficulties under which he just then laboured oh come with me come with me said juvenal de royan i am captain of a company of horse archers and every one bows down in reverence to me here you shall have half of my room if they will give you none other and leading him back into the inn he called loudly for the host here master langrin he exclaimed when the uncivil functionary whom jean charost had before seen made his appearance again this gentleman is a friend of mine he must have accommodation there i know what you will say you must make it if you have not got it i took the gentleman for a monk sir said the host with all humility a monk cried de royan the gown does not make the monk where were your eyes i will answer for it he has got a steel coat on under that gown but he must have some rooms at all events there are none empty but those reserved for madame de giac replied the landlord and all the men are obliged to sleep four or five in a bed well put him in madame de giac's rooms cried de royan with a laugh i dare say neither party will object to the arrangement at all events you must find him some place i insist upon it i will quarter all my archers upon you if you don't eat out all you have got in the house and drink up all your wine take ten minutes to consider it and then come and tell me in the den where you have put me bid some of my people to look upon monsieur de bracy's mule and look to it well for before it carried him it carried as noble a prince as france has seen or ever will see come old friend i will show you the way when jean charost was seated in the room of juvenel de royan a lamp lighted and his companion stretched out at ease partly on his bed and partly on a settle the latter assumed a graver tone and de bracy perceived with pain that he was both depressed in mind and sadly shattered in body twelve years of almost incessant campaigning had broken down his strength and many wounds received had left him a suffering and enfeebled man god help me he said i try to bear up well de bracy and cannot make up my mind to quit the old trade i must die in harness i suppose but i believe what i ought to do would be to betake me to my castle by the garonne adopt my sister's son her husband fell at azincourt and feed upon the bouillons and medoc wine for the rest of my life i am never without some ache but now tell me what are your plans for as i am constantly on the spot i can give you a map of the whole country jean charost explained to him frankly his precise situation and de royan thought over it for some time in silence you must make powerful friends he said at length don't you know madame de giac every one knows that on that fatal night you were sent to her by the duke our lord and if so she must be under some obligations to you for your discretion i have remarked de royan replied the other that ladies generally hate those who have the power to be discreet that could be soon seen said de royan we can test it readily 
i see no use replied de bracy she is the avowed mistress of the duke of burgundy and of him i am going to ask no favour she may be his avowed mistress and no less a dear friend of his highness the dauphin answered de royan she was the duke's avowed mistress and no less a dear friend of his highness of orleans jean charost gave a shudder heaven forgive me he said if i lack charity but there is a dark suspicion in my mind de royan which would make me sooner seek a boon of the devil than of that woman ha said de royan raising himself partly from his bed if i thought that-but no matter no matter we will talk of her no more what does she hear asked jean charles i will tell you all about it replied the other a conference took place some time ago in regard to the general pacification of the kingdom the duke of burgundy promised great things which he has never performed nor ever will and his highness the dauphin has summoned him to another conference here at montereau hard by the duke has hesitated for more than a month sometimes he would come sometimes he would not often urged that the dauphin himself should come to troyes where he lay with his forces and with the poor king and queen the dauphin said nay but promised all security if he would come hither john without fear has shown himself john with great fear however well considering that there are twenty thousand men with his prince in and around montereau nothing would serve him but he must have the castle given up to him for security and accordingly i and my men who kept it for his highness the dauphin were turned out to make way for who do you think nay i cannot tell replied jean charost perhaps james de la ligne master of the crossbow men who i hear is with the duke nothing of the kind answered de royan for good madame de giac her household and servants not an armed man among them she arrives here to-night goes on early to-morrow and the duke himself they say will arrive in the afternoon he came as far as bray sur seine five or six days ago but there he stopped and hesitated once more and one cannot tell whether he will come after all or not if he does he will come well accompanied for it is clear that his heart fails him is there any reason for his fear except that general doubt of all men which are wicked from the pictures in their own heart asked jean charost juvenel de royan raised himself completely and sat on the edge of the bed bending slightly forward and speaking in a lower tone i cannot tell he said slowly and thoughtfully but there is a general feeling abroad no one can tell why that if to-morrow's interview does take place something extraordinary will happen it is all vague and confused no one knows what he expects but every one expects something we have no orders for extraordinary preparation the side of the castle next to the fields is to be left quite free and open for the duke and his people to come and go at their pleasure and everything seems to indicate that his highness meditates nothing but peaceful conference yet i know that as soon as i hear the duke is in the castle of montereau i will have every man in the saddle and every horse out of the stable in order to act as may be needed but you must have some reasons for such apprehensions said jean charost none none upon my word replied juvenel de royan the only way i can account for the general feeling is that every man of our faction knows that john of burgundy is an enemy to france that his ambition is the great obstacle to the union of all frenchmen against our english adversaries 
and that it would be good for the whole country if he were dead or in prison. Perhaps what everyone wishes, everyone thinks may happen. But now, de Bracy, once more to your own affairs. Your plan is a good one. His Highness, in consenting to any peace, ought to stipulate for the liberation of his friends upon a moderate ransom, and yours is certainly unreasonable. But how to get at him is the question, in order to ensure that your name may be among those stipulated. You will not use Madame de Gillac. Nay, but I have two means of access, answered Jean Charost. I have a letter for his highness from the young Duke of Orléans, my fellow prisoner, and I hear that my good friend Jacques Coeur has very great influence with the royal prince. Juvenel de Royan mused before he answered. The letter may not do what you want, he said at length for you must see the prince before this interview takes place, and when you present the letter, a long-distant day may be appointed for your audience. Jacques Coeur can doubtless procure your admission at once, if he be in Montereau. He was there, certainly, three days ago, and supplied his highness liberally, they say, to his great joy, for he was well-nigh penniless, but the rumour ran that he was to depart for Italy yesterday. "'Then the case is hopeless,' said Jean Charost, with a sigh. A silence of some minutes succeeded, but then de Royan looked up with a smile. "'Not hopeless,' he said, "'not hopeless. I have just thought of a way more sure than any other. First, I will give you a letter to my friend and cousin, Tanegui du Châtel, who is high in the Dauphin's confidence. There, however, you might be put off, but there is another means in your own hand.' Do you remember Mademoiselle de Saint-Geran, the beautiful Agnes? People used to think that you were in love with her, and she with you, though she was but a girl, and you little more than a boy in those days. I remember her well, replied Jean Charost, and have a high regard for her. So has the Dauphin, answered Juvenel de Royan, with a meaning smile. You do not mean to say, cried Jean Charost, but his companion interrupted him. "'I mean to say nothing,' replied de Royan. "'In fact, men know nothing but what I have said. "'It is clear His Highness has a great regard for her, "'reverences her advice, follows it, "'even in affairs of war and policy. "'And were it not that his wife reverences "'and loves her just as much, "'there would be no doubt of the matter. "'For her exquisite beauty—' "'I never thought her very beautiful,' said Jean Charost. "'Her form was fine and her face was pretty, "'but that is all.' "'Oh, but there has been a change,' answered de Royan. "'She is the same, and yet another. "'It is impossible to describe how beautiful she has grown. "'Every line in her face has become fine and delicate. "'The colours have grown clear and pure. "'The roses blossom in her cheek. "'The morning star is sparkling in her eyes, "'warm as the summer, yet dewy as the daybreak. "'But that is not all.' There is an inconceivable grace in her movements, unlike anything I ever saw. Her quickest gesture is so easy that it seems slow, and her lightest change of attitude brings out some new perfection in her symmetry, and through the whole there seems a soul, a spirit shining like a light upon everything around. Why, the old Bishop of Longres himself said the other day that from the parting of her hair to the sole of her foot she was all beauty. The good man, indeed, said he did not know whether it was the beauty of holiness, but he hoped so. "'Why, you seem in love with her yourself, de Royan,' answered Jean Charost. "'Go and see, go and see,' replied his companion. 
she will greet you right willingly for she is mild and humble and ever glad to welcome an old acquaintance but where can i find her asked jean charost oh you will find her at the stranger's lodging at the abbey answered de royat the dauphin has his headquarters there with the dauphiness and two or three of her ladies were i you i would go to her the first for her influence is certain however it comes but you must change your monk's garb man for though they lodge us at the abbey the court is not very fond of the friars ah here comes the landlord now monsieur langrin what has made you so long the arrival of madame de giac sir answered the host i can but give the gentleman a mere closet to sleep in which i destined for another but of course as your friend he must have it and as for supper it is on the table with good wine to boot End of chapter 34